So, over the past three weeks, we have looked at three different instances of Christ in the book of John saying, I am fill in the blank. Okay? Last week, we looked at I am the door, and we looked at, um, you know, we talked a lot about how um, he is the door, not the, the, the bodyguard at the door, and we talked a lot about that there is somebody who is desperate to stop us from going through that door, and if we've already gone through it, desperate to handcuff our lives so that we're of no use to the kingdom of God. This week, we're going to continue. It's actually in the same exact passage of scripture, and it's the Next seven verses from the verses we read last week. He started last week, right, by saying, I am the door. And he's beginning this whole, and I didn't talk about this as much last week, but I want to fill us in a little bit this week, if you will, why he would choose the door and what we're going to talk about today as the good shepherd. Last week it was the door to the pasture, and this week it's the good shepherd, right? How many of you in here have ever owned a livestock sort of animal? Cattle, sheep, goats, Donkeys, <laughs> you would understand what it takes to take care of these animals. Alan, have you owned sheep before? Yes. Would you characterize them as overly intelligent creatures? No, right? They're pretty dumb, right? One in a hundred. <laughs> Church, I don't want to alarm or offend anybody. Multiple times throughout Scripture, you and I are referred to as sheep. Because we're dumb, and we need a shepherd to take care of us. Christ doesn't just use that because of that, though, although that's important. He also uses it because one of the primary professions of that day was a shepherd. Livestock were of vital importance back then. I mean, today, I mean, we don't think about it much, but a lot of our clothing will come from wool, which comes from sheep and stuff like that, right? You drank milk this morning, that's a cow. Um, if you had eggs this morning, probably from a chicken, although any bird will lay an egg like that, and you could technically crack it and eat it. Um, has anybody ever had anything besides a chicken egg? I've had quail egg before. That's the, that's the furthest I've gone away from a chicken. It was a well-known profession back then. And the people he was talking to would have understood it. And that's why he uses it. They would have gone, oh, yeah, I get it. Some of them might have even been shepherds at points. He goes, oh, yeah, I, I understand. I get it. Make no mistake that Christ always used, uh, not always, I won't say, oftentimes used analogies that everybody around him would understand. He probably wouldn't have used a shepherd today. He would have used something else. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Maybe you can later. You can tell me about it if you think of one. But he used the things that people he was talking to would understand. There is always a pasture, and I am the door to get into that pasture. And today, as we're going to read, I am the good shepherd who takes care of the flock. You are my flock, and I take care of you. Let's read about it. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Okay, let's talk about it this morning. Number one on your note sheet. Number one on your note sheet. His ownership. His ownership. He starts off this by saying, I am the good shepherd and I take care of my sheep because they are mine. Okay. Oftentimes in life, we are significantly more protective of something that is our own than something that we are borrowing or, or something like that. Think about it like this. If you own a house, you are responsible for it. Right? If you own the house and the roof starts to leak, it is you who must fix it. Now, you might call somebody who knows how to do it to come and do it, but it is up to you to get it fixed. When you are a renter, you call up your landlord and it's up to them. You don't care nearly as much. You only care because it's the roof you're living under. But you have no actual ties to it as much. It's the same thing Christ is saying here. I own my sheep and they are mine. They are mine. And therefore, I take better care of them. He doesn't flee before the enemy. And if there was anybody that, not, not should have is not the right word. If there is anybody that had the right to say, no, I'm not doing that, it was him. Because he was about to face something more desperately horrific than any of us will ever face. But he doesn't run before the enemy. He protects and dies for his flock. I think of David in the Old Testament, right? And he writes psalms about how he fights lions and bears and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, they were better men than us today, weren't they? He's back there in like a cloth tunic with a rock and a sling and a wooden staff. And he's like, yeah, I'll take on that lion. And I'm like, I've got a gun, but I'm going the other way when the lion comes at me. They were just better men than us, I guess, back then. What are you going to do? But he protected his sheep. David did. He was this incredible shepherd. He was very good at his job. As a young boy, how much more does Christ protect his sheep? And boy, do we need protection because sheep are dumb. And we are dumb. And we run headfirst right into the enemy without even opening our eyes to him so often. There's a cliff and we're just walking right towards it. And everybody's going, there's a cliff right there. And we're like, I don't think so. You're right over the edge. Or we try to straddle that. We're like, I wonder. How... When I was in high school and in college, because, you know, even though I was older in college, I was the same person. I would take trays, plates, cups, silverware. My buddy Adam would do this as well. And we would try to stack them and balance them as precariously as you could. And a lot of those things, if you ever try to balance anything, you can balance almost anything. You just have to find the point at which the weight on either side is equal. Sometimes that point is just tiny, but you can balance almost anything if you can get it to that point. We spilled quite a lot of things trying to get to that point. And often that's what we try to do with our lives. We try to balance that life between sin and doing what's wrong and between following after Christ. And we need the protection because we are dumb. And he protects us. And he was willing to die for us. And he did it. We're going to talk about that in a little bit because he, he talks about at the end of this that no one took my life. I gave it willingly and had the authority to take it back too. 
that's an incredible thing. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Oh, no, actually, we're going to talk about it now. I have it written in my notes right there for right now. Look at that. The amount of times I look down at my notes during a sermon is like twice. So that's why that sometimes happens. He laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. We can't really say that. He can. Because Christ never had to die. Now, yes, he had to die for the remission of sins, but he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. He was and is and always will be God. He never had to experience death. He, of his own volition, his own will, said, I will do it. We don't really get that choice very often. Right now, you might say, what if I'm, you know, I've got kids and I jump in front of the speeding car for them or whatever. Yes, I understand that. It still won't do what Christ did because you're going to experience death anyway. He is the only being in all of existence, not creation because he wasn't created, but in all of existence that never had to experience death. And he did it anyway. He is also the only being in all of existence that not only had the ability to choose death, but also has the ability to say, yeah, you might kill me, but I'm coming back because I'm the one who has control over life and death. Not a Roman, not Satan, not the Jews, nobody, me. That's an incredible, that, that is power beyond anything I could ever imagine. We talk about God as omnipotent, right, all-powerful. That's power in my book. To move mountains, that's great. He created those. To, 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 to separate the sea, that's incredible. He created the waters. A man, not man, a being, God, who says, I have total control over life and death, including my own. That's power right there. And that's the power that we serve. And that's the power that did die and rose again. And he's saying, I'm, I have the power to do that for my sheep. And we get to be brought into that fold. It's beautiful. The other thing we read of that first section is that Christ knows us. He knows the very number of hairs on our head. Some of you got that. That was an unplanned joke because I shaved this long after I wrote this sermon. Yes, some of us have less of a count than others. Sometimes by choice. Sometimes not by choice. Right, Dad? He knows every little thing about us. Our innermost thoughts and desires, both good and bad. Everything that makes me tick. Everything that ticks me off. Even things that I don't necessarily know about myself yet because I haven't learned them about myself yet. He still knows them. Such as, I don't know what I would do in the event if, I, if there's a stranger who, like we read about these things, there's a stranger who's on the railroad tracks and he falls over onto him and there's a train coming. I don't know what I would do if I would jump down there and grab him or not. Christ knows what I would do. I like to think that I would. But I might be just as paralyzed by fear as everybody else there. But God knows what I would do. He knows what you would do. In every part of your being, he knows us. He knows his sheep. And why is that so important? Because he can't be deceived. Satan can't deceive him into thinking we are not his sheep. And you can't deceive him into thinking that you are. Because he knows his sheep. 
that should be so comforting to us that there is nothing in this life, in nothing in all of creation that can separate me from the love of God. That's what Paul says in the book of Romans. Not a single thing because he knows me. And that also terrifies me because he knows me. And I also know me. And I know there are parts of me that I never want anyone else to know. Just as there are parts of you that you never want anybody else to know. And yet he knows them. And yet he still calls you part of his flock. Because he knows us. Because he owns us. It's this beautiful picture that's painted of Christ's love for us. Number two on your note sheets. Number two. Other sheep. Other sheep. Does he have a secret flock hidden somewhere? At that time he did. He no longer does. This is not a rhetorical question, which means I'd like an answer to it from somebody. Audience participation. What group of people, what, uh, let me word this correctly. What nationality of people was he speaking to at this time in John chapter 10? No, he was not. He was speaking to the Jews. You're good. This part is about the Gentiles. You're right on that. He's speaking to the Jews who all think they're so much better than everybody else. When in fact they had been given a solemn responsibility not to hoard God, but to bring God to the people. It wasn't just that he were, they were his chosen people. What were they chosen for? To be his people on earth and to share Christ. Boy, that sounds a lot like the church now. We are not the Jewish nation. Let me point that out. We are different from them. We do not have the same uh, promises from God that he made to them. But the Jews failed in their charge and he came and made the church. And this section right here, just as Jan said, the secret, this other fold, this other flock he's got to go get, that's the Gentiles. That's you and I who are not of Jewish descent. We still get to be a part of the flock. That's the part I think that the Jews hated so much when they talk about he must be demon-possessed because they thought they were so much better than everybody. We're the ones with God. We're the ones with the temple. Ooh. Yes, you're right. You were given. God came down and gave it to Abraham who was supposed to pass it along, and he did. And somewhere along the lines, you guys got it in your heads that it was all for you, that God was only for you. Yes, we'll have a tiny little Gentile part of the temple, but you're not really part of us. You want to worship God, fine, but you're not part of us. Would be like today if a Methodist walked in here and we went, well, you can worship with us, but you're not Baptist like us, so just sit over there somewhere. You know what, we've got a TV out there in the foyer area that plays the sermon that's live, just stand out there. You can hear it. You can sing with us, but you've got to be out there. I'm not saying that, that Gentiles should have been allowed in the Holy of Holies. I'm not saying that. No one was allowed in there except for one man once a year. But God was not, did not reveal himself to Abraham and to the Israelites so that they could hoard him. And then Jesus comes and he goes, you might try to hoard me, but it won't work. I'm here for everybody. I'm dying for everybody. And I will bring them into my flock just the same as I'm willing to bring you. Anybody that says yes to me gets to come in through the door. Anybody. 
The best of the best or the worst of the worst, they are all the same in his book as soon as they say yes. Make no mistake, church, we are not the original people. That's the Jews. And if you come on Tuesday afternoons at 2.30, we're walking through the book of Revelation, we are going to see that they are still his chosen people and he will reconcile the nation of Israel to himself. He will do it. It's going to cost a lot, but he will do it. But how incredible is it that you and I are no longer considered outsiders. We're right in the pasture along with anybody who's accepted him. It's beautiful. And he says, we all become this same flock, my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. The end of verse 16. One flock, one shepherd. That's like the whole point, of the, not the whole point, one of the big messages throughout the New Testament. Paul writes about it, Peter writes about it, John writes about it, that we are all of one accord now in one spirit. Whether you're in Northeast PA or China, we're still all one. We're supposed to be the most unified thing in all of existence. We've messed that up quite a lot. But when we get to heaven, I can't wait. There's this beautiful, um, which one is it? Is it indescribable? One of Chris Tomlin's songs that he does. He does an international version on. It's um, How Great Is Our God, I believe. I've just said three different Chris Tomlin songs, but that's okay. I believe it's How Great Is Our God. And it's sung in like five or six different languages throughout the song. It's gorgeous. I know what they're saying, not because I know the languages, but because I know the song. So I can be like, oh, okay, we're at this point in the song. In my mind, I could be very wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again in the future. In my mind, that's what heaven's going to be like. We're in the throne room, and people from every nation and tongue are going to be proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty in their tongue. Maybe not for eternity. Maybe we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, maybe we'll have to go to class and learn, learn heavenly language. I hope it's not a class because I'm really bad at language. I hope it's just like imputed into our perfect brains along with our perfect bodies. I'd like to take a history class when I get to heaven. But other than that, I'm good. But I, that's what it sounds like in my mind. And it's gorgeous. Because even though we are different nationalities, we might have different customs, we have different ideas. You look at an African church and what they, they would look at what we do on a Sunday morning and think it's as weird as we think what they do is. And yet, we are all worshiping God. And I think, I can't wait to be in heaven and experience what that's going to be like. Maybe I'm completely wrong. It's going to be beautiful either way, but I can't wait. Because we've all become this one flock. And that's what he means when he's this good shepherd. It's not just that he dies for and protects his sheep, but that he goes after the sheep and he brings them in to one pasture to be made part of one flock. In a world that is so divisive based on so many different things, skin color, uh, um, politics, sports teams, whatever it is, region of the world you come from, region of the country you come from. People get mad if you say soda where they say pop. There's parts of this country that call all soda Coke. How do you know what you're ordering? I'd like a Coke. They bring you a Sprite. I'm like, no, I literally want a Coke. Or the opposite. I asked for a Coke, but I actually want Sprite, and they bring me some dark brown liquid. I'm like, what the heck? Just call it soda. 
it's, it's soda. The word y'all. I was looking up song lyrics to a song, or chords to a song yesterday. And in the song, they say y'all. And I could tell a northerner had written the lyrics and the, and the, the chords because they put you all. It is not you all. It's y'all. Get that Y in there. But in a world that is so divisive about literally everything, God says, I've made you one. And in heaven, there is no more division. We are one. All those jokes about, you know, this room's for the Presbyterians, that room's for the Baptists, that room's for the Catholics, the Pentecostals, whatever. No, no, no. We're all in one place in the throne room of God worshiping him. All together as one. Because we have been made one in spirit with him. Let's apply this all to our lives, shall we? Take heart, church. The shepherd's in control. He's in control. Obviously, because I'm the one who talks. That I, I've talked a lot about my own fears, my own shortcomings, and stuff like that over the past five and a half years with you guys. One of them that I still struggle with, and that I, I think I'll probably struggle with for most of my life, if not all of it, until he calls me home, is that I, I like to be in control of things, of everything, if I can. It is very difficult, you can ask our poor board members, it is very difficult for me to sit in a board meeting and not say things. I'm not in control of the board, but I'm like, I should be in control of the meeting. I'm, I could control the meeting. We have a head of the board for that. So much so that at the past two board meetings, he has looked at me before everybody else has gotten there and said, Sam, please don't talk this meeting. I'm like, what if I have something to say? And he goes, you probably don't, do you? And I went, no, not really. Nothing that nobody else is going to, that anybody else isn't going to say. I like to be in control. When I was in school, I was the one who would answer questions first. When I would take classes where it was kind of open-ended discussion, I would start the discussion on things. Now, sometimes that was good because some people need that kind of icebreaker to get the discussion rolling, and I don't care. I'll plow head right into the ice. But it also meant that other people never got to say anything because I was too loud. Because I like to be in control of every situation, of every discussion, of everything. Most of you will have probably already realized this because most of you in here are, are, are older than me. As I've lived my life, I have learned that I have very little control in this life. Even the things I think I have control over, such as my car. Yes, I'm holding the steering wheel, but I have no control over if something goes wrong in that car. Now, I take it and get the oil changed when it needs to be done. I make sure I've got decent tires on it. I make sure I've got gas, right? I do all the things that I can do, that I can control. But here's the thing, if God says, it's time for that engine to blow, there's not a darn thing I can do to stop it. If God says that it's time for Sam to leave this earth, there's not a thing I can do to stop it. I know of one person in all of history that got an extension. And that was Hezekiah in the, in, in, in the Old Testament. No one else gets an extension. When he says it's time, it's time. If he says, Sam, it is time for this to happen, there's nothing I can do to stop it. Even the things I think I have control over, I don't. Because he's the one who has control, not me. And while that at times really irks me, because I want to be in control, 
There is no one better to be in control but him. And he is in control. And you might be facing something in your life that you cannot control. And it's terrifying. Take heart. The shepherd's in control of the flock. There's not a thing that can happen to any of us that he doesn't have direct control over or allow to happen. I think of Job all the time. Satan had no power over Job. He could do solely what God said, yes, you may do that. Every time he would say, but you cannot do this, and Satan had no power to do it. Whatever is happening in your life, take heart, the shepherd's in control. He's got you. He's got you held tight. That might mean he calls you home. It might. It might mean he says you're going to suffer. Read some of the letters to the churches in the first couple chapters of Revelation. He tells them, you are going to suffer. It will happen. Hold tight. Just because you're a Christian and he's in control does not mean the boat doesn't get choppy. In fact, it means it probably will. But take heart, he's in control. And then here's your, here's your practical application for this week. I don't ask you to memorize too many verses because I'm not great at verse memorization. So I don't want to be like, all right, church, new verse every week. Let's memorize it. But I feel that verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, my own know me, is a great comfort verse. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I've woken up and just felt that weight of, of despair, of loneliness, whatever it is, whatever word, term you want to put on it. And I have to remind myself that my God knows me. And he is always there, no matter what. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about that, but that's one of them in this. It's a short verse. It's not the shortest verse in the Bible. That also comes out of John, but not here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. What an incredible comfort in times of need, in times of celebration. He still knows me then. In the good, the bad, in the middle, he still knows me. He is the good shepherd, and I'm thankful that I have one because I'm an idiot. I've proved it time and time again. I've done so many dumb things in my life that God's just got to go, what is he thinking down there? And yet, he's still a good shepherd to me. He led me into the pasture. He led me through the door, and he takes care of me. My dad always says, he heard it from somewhere else, I don't know where, but my dad always says, God protects fools and children, and I'm no child. But I'll be a fool any day, as long as it means I've got the good shepherd on my side. That doesn't give me a right to be a fool in my life, but you know. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. I thank you that you are the good shepherd, the door, and so many other things that we're going to read about, uh, that we've already read about, and that we will read about in the coming weeks. I thank you that you, you are still that good shepherd, even when we are like sheep. When we falter, when we fail, when we just run headlong towards that cliff, you are still the good shepherd. And even if we jump over that cliff, you still come and get us. You are an incredible God, an incredible Father. I thank you that you are in control of every single situation in my life, that not a thing happens that you don't either have direct control over and in, causing to happen, or that you allow it to happen for your glory and for my growth, even if I don't understand why it's got to happen. 
I thank you, Father. I praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.